2: Hello and welcome to another video and podcast from fantasyfootballscout.co.uk. My name is David and once again I'm joined by Mark who comes to us live from the Fantasy Football Scout Writers Room where it never stops. The football season has come to a halt but the articles keep on coming and the big series that they are working on right now and we're of course tracking our, on uh, our videos and podcasts is the team of the season. So here we are once again Mark. We've talked about goalkeepers and defenders. We're moving on to the uh, the explosive Points deliverers themselves, the midfielders. So, uh, yeah, it must be must be good fun going back and having a look at some of the players in this position.
3: Yes, it is. It's um, it's very much a what lessons have we learned uh, time of year. So it is interesting to look back and just uh, look beyond the points totals of each player and, and just see how it happened, uh, what didn't happen, and yeah, and just get thinking ahead for next season, really.
2: And the midfield uh, position is is definitely one I've always enjoyed having to look back on because there's a lot more variation of choice than, say, in your goalkeepers and defenders. You know, they're very much the sort of um, the bread and butter, whereas uh, the midfielders quite often can be the juicy filling that bring some real flavour to your team. So uh, although speaking of bread and butter, we do actually start in a place that feels very bread and butter, very mainstay in Mohamed Salah. Although it has been a really interesting season. I mean, reviewing his season, it probably is probably as interesting now as it has been in a long time because he didn't quite hit the heights uh, that you would expect from him, but he did become essential uh, eventually, uh, just like the days of old. So yeah, talk me through his campaign, uh, what we've learned and what perhaps that might mean for next season.
3: Yeah, it was, it, it was similar to what we said about Trent Alexander-Arnold, really, in that for the first half of the the campaign, the World Cup, he was he was pretty. Well, it wasn't so much lower down the midfielders list, but he certainly wasn't at the top. He'd only scored six before the World Cup. Even going into game twenty five, he was on eight, which which for him is substandard. But then, and of course, at the start of the season, he blanked in the nine 0 against Bournemouth. I don't know if you captained him, but I, I know I did. And, it's hard to forget that. It was a hard day, uh, that one. Very hard day. <laughs> really tough day. But yeah, he's emerged. Once it's all said and done, he's the top scoring midfielder, and he's one of only two to have double digits for goals and assists. So yeah, you, you look at you look at it like that and think it's more Salah being more Salah. But for a while, he wasn't quite uh, what we what we knew of him. But certainly towards the end of the season, he. His final 15 matches brought 11 goals, 7 assists, and he found time to miss two penalties. So <laughs> he, he really, he was making up for lost time by the end.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, it'd be really interesting to see how he fares in the vote on Fantasy Football scout Um, .dot K where you can vote uh, for who you think should be in the team of the season. Now, Mohamed Salah has obviously come up number one on the short list so far, based purely. I'm going to assume uh, the fact that he he, he was the top scorer midfielder in the end. D- do you feel that he is going to make that um, team of the season from the votes? I mean, how do you see the voters uh, um, voting? Uh, wh- wh- where are they going to? Um, tick the right boxes. Do you feel that Salah's gonna make the, the top three, top four? Um even though it wasn't quite wasn't quite a usual Salah season? Because the price is the big thing here as well, isn't it? You know?
3: Price is the big thing because as we'll find out on this list, there's, there's you've got more midfield nominees than any other positions. And that's because there was quite a decent number of mid priced uh stars this season. So um, if it comes to sort of picking a team of the season with a budget, and we'll move on to forwards in, in the next video, but if you have Haaland and Kane, for example, that maybe restricts Salah, and that's okay because we've got lots of good options in midfield under 8 million. So it's it's it could go either way, I think. Yeah, with we, Salah.
2: we like things like that. We like a little bit of post-season drama, I think um and well the thing is the, the other thing is that I think this year more than ever before we were just inundated with uh value midfielders um in, in a number of different price brackets from down from the, right down to the 4.5s uh into the 5.5s 6.5s things like that which to be honest the, the, the premium midfielder wasn't really a slot this year and there weren't even that many that were priced that way to begin with there was only five I think that were priced above 9.5 I think um you know Salah um de Bruyne sterling son and uh Bruno I think yeah so there there really weren't many players in this position and well well speaking of Fernandes let's talk about his United colleague then because Marcus Rashford really sort of I think summed up what this season was all about we had lots of high performing midfielders in and around 6.5 and of course, he ended up finishing, I think, 7.2, 7.3, really leaping out of his bracket because he was the chief um, exciting value midfielder the season, would you say?
3: Yeah, he made a mockery out of that uh, initial 6.5 price tag. Um, but he's another player who, it, going through this, it really emphasises how long the season is and how it's they always say it's a game of two halves, but FPL is a game of two halves because Rashford is another player who, post-World Cup, was a lot better than beforehand Uh, because pre-Qatar, he had just four goals and two assists. And then on Boxing Day, game week 17, FPL resumes and he scores 10 goals in the next 10 games uh, to have his best ever FPL campaign. So it completely changed after that break and he peaked at 6.1 million owners, and then what actually happened is after game week 24, he only scored three more times, but I think it took a while to sort of cotton on to the fact that that streak had ended, that explosive streak after the World Cup, and it did sort of, uh, partly because of injury, of course, but it it did uh, fade slightly by the end, but He's had a, he's a superb season. He's finished on over 200 points, which for a player of that initial price tag is superb. So, yeah, he's been one of the best midfielders we've had. And he sometimes played up front, of course. So.
2: Well, it's an excellent uh, little segue into, I guess, what next season does hold for him. Because, yeah, as you say, um, 200 points plus usually is, is good justification to hooking that price back up. I mean, we were all very surprised, when we saw him at 6.5, you know, those, those days are, are very much gone. Um, and, and some would argue should never have even come about because <laughs> it was a very mm-hmm. kind price. But where would you see him priced next season? And I guess the question is, have you seen him play up front enough times to potentially make people a bit nervous that he might get reclassified as forward? What's, what's your thoughts on that for next season?
3: I think that, well, first of all, is yeah, this season's price drop was probably one of the biggest. And, I'd say that for next season, his rise will also be one of the biggest. It depends if Manchester United do buy that striker because we know they are linked with some names. And if if they clearly buy a big elite striker up front, then you would imagine that does keep Rashford attacking from the left. And that doesn't necessarily mean he will stay as an FPL midfielder, but uh, I think there's enough doubt about whether he's this or that that maybe they could keep him in midfield
2: yeah i hope so i mean i would like to keep him there because i think he it's one of those situations where has he played up front enough times this season to justify the switch like maybe i feel like it could be borderline um you know it could go i could support a case for either way. but in terms of as you've sort of mentioned a couple of times in these videos m- sometimes you know we're not just thinking about football here the people behind fpl have to design a game and they have to think about what will make the game function well. And if you have a situation where Rashford is reclassified as a forward, but every week he plays on the wing because Harry Kane's playing up front for Man United, then it possibly slightly just breaks that part of the game, and that could be potentially enough of a decision. Uh, it might might be enough to push their decision back towards him being a midfielder again, which I, which I hope is what happens, because um, if United do get a, um, a big exciting striker, a Harry Kane perhaps, I, I'd quite like to own both Rashford and Kane, I think they could link up quite well. So I'll keep my fingers crossed for that. Uh, I but... do get slightly nervous
3: that because um, it was it was another season where there weren't that many great forwards, and I often feel like they, if there's ever a chance to move more players into that position, they might take that opportunity. I, I think this season we had Jota become a forward and, and Bummo, Brentford become a forward. So maybe there's a slight desire to make that position more competitive but uh, yeah he might have just not played there quite enough to force the move
2: yeah that's a good point and, and but, but and balancing with those other players is also quite um, worth considering in a world where Kane and Haaland uh, really just locked it down uh, for large parts of the season so you really only had one extra slot uh, on average really to to do something with and if Kane does stay in the Premier League and go to a United then may well be the same team issue again. Um, but Rashford is not the only uh, player in his, in his price point uh, roughly to have had a good season. And we come now onto um, a, a tr- a, just a veritable trio of exciting uh, assets who they did tell off towards the end, but I don't think Arsenal fans will ever forget um, the first seventy-five to eighty percent of the season, because it really was uh, quite amazing. There's there's a variation in price here. So obviously we've got we've got Erdegaard, we've got Martinelli, we've got Saka. Saka was the more expensive of the three, and Martinelli and Erdegaard were a little bit cheaper, but eventually sort of pushed themselves up with the performances that they gave. Um, I mean, I mean, how do you how do you separate these three? Um, all three of them had an incredible campaigns, really. Um, off the top of my head, I don't know if I, who I would vote for. As the one who had the best season from a fantasy perspective, um, without perhaps a little bit of input from yourself, you might be able to drop some really eye opening stat I'd not thought of that might sway me one way or the other.
3: <laughs> well, certainly, Odegaard finished on more points of the trio. And uh, whereas Saka ranked second of the three, but came in at a much higher price. So maybe that will impact the vote a bit because he was as great as Saka has been, the value for money wasn't quite with the other two. But yeah, Odegaard was um, he's second amongst all midfielders. He's he's reached 212 points, 15 goals, eight assists, quite a lot of double-digit hauls. He got nine of them. Um, it's quite interesting, really. Yeah. Out of those to score at least 14, Odegaard had by far the fewest big chances. He only had nine big chances. So it sort of does ask the question, Is he here to stay as a big goal scorer or was it just sort of a really good year? Whereas Martinelli, Martinelli actually had one more assist. He had more attacking returns than Odegaard did, but a lot lot less bonus points. But Martinelli was interesting because his penalty area touches ranked third, but it were more than any forward in the game. So he was an incredible bargain for so long of the season. He was in 5 million squads for a long time. Um, But again, it it did sort of tail off towards the end. And I think we expected Martinelli all along to, oh, he might be rotated with Smith-Rowe. And then when Trossard came in, rotated with Trossard. But it didn't really happen for a while. And then when he was eventually put on the bench, what did he do? He came on, he scored and scored eight goals in the next 10 games. So the lesson is don't annoy Martinelli. <laughs>
2: That's a good point. And well, the, th- the thing that I find really interesting about this trio is I can't really remember the last time that we had three midfielders from the same club sort of in a similar price. I know Saka was just that little bit um, further ahead, but in a season where we always felt quite a flush with cash, there was never a time when I felt like I couldn't get to Saka. Um, you know, so I always had the choice. And this this is what I find really fascinating, is I honestly can't remember the last time we had this, where we had three very similar, um, similarly uh, exciting assets, all from the same club, that actually made it really difficult to pick the best one at each particular point in time, and sometimes even made it difficult to pick the best two. And I think that um, comparing it perhaps with Rashford, you know, if, if you needed an informed United midfielder when they had good fixtures, it was like, Rashford, job done.
0: Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You repel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas.
1: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
0: A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh?
1: Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No process required. Play by law. 18+ terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But then with Arsenal, I
2: think maybe this is what might maybe influence people's voting somewhat is that the, the, each one of these might just lose a little little bit of support in the vote because they can all remember times when they didn't have that one. And they had the other one, and they let them down because obviously, between the three, that it was always going to ebb and flow about you know which one was the best two to own. And I, I had a couple of weeks where I, I sold Saka, I think, and uh, sorry, I sold Erdegaard to keep Saka because I wanted to, keep, because I needed to move to a Salah or a Fernandez, and. I kept Saka because he was on the penalties and then I ended up having Saka for the two games where he blanked where Martinelli exploded. I think I had Erdegaard before I had Saka in the first place so just going further back in time. Um, you know, I, I seem to just not always be completely optimally invested in this trio because there was three of them and it, and it mm-hmm. always just made it very difficult for me to sort of pick between them. I don't, what was your experience with these guys this year? Did you, did you own all three of them at various stages and in different combinations?
3: Uh, started off with Martinelli. So that that went well. I don't think. you know, there was there was a slight spell with Odegaard later on, but it was just when he decided to not score for a little bit. So thank you for that. Um, <laughs> Saka, yeah, that, that's the thing because Saka, I did have him for a while because, by the way, he's the other player as well as Salah who scored at least ten goals and got ten assists. He's the other. He's the only other player with double digits for both. And he had the, the penalty taken responsibility. So I, that really appealed to me. And he, he did okay. He, he did an all right job. But and it, his returns came at a steady pace, Saka. So he produced in 17 of his first 25. Although he then failed in all but two since game week 28, I think it was. So, and had him for quite a few of those weeks, of course. But yeah, he was... I've had all of them. You're right in that they could sort of share the Arsenal vote in these awards, but uh, it's another reminder that you can vote for up to five names <laughs> on Scout. By the way, yeah. So you could you could vote for all three if you wanted
2: to. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, uh, an incredible season for for Arsenal, uh, unfortunately for their fans, just pipped to the post by Man City, who we move to next. Um, it's a bit of a, an automatic inclusion most seasons, really, for Kevin De Bruyne to, to feature in the shortlist. Um, I don't really think I owned him that much this season, uh, to be honest, um, which was maybe a mistake. Uh, but yeah, what can you tell us about his campaign? Um, yeah, Kevin De Bruyne, the legend that is.
3: Yeah, you're right. It often felt like he was kind of the fourth premium and that as, as, as good as he was doing, um, there was always Haaland, Kane, Salah ahead of him and and it was kind of hard to fit two, maybe three into a lineup. Uh 18 assists for De Bruyne, which is brilliant and yet it's still only his joint third best tally, which tells you everything about the guy. And there's 183 points, ranks fifth from seven seasons. So again, seven full seasons, not counting the Chelsea. Um, So in that respect, it's been semi-disappointing, but also he is one of the top scoring midfielders. He is incredible when he plays and his link up with Erling Haaland was, as predicted, superb. And uh, he was a victim of late rotations, for sure. That might have pushed him up the rankings a little bit. But he ends with the best rate of chances created. He's created a chance every 24.7 minutes. Um, And he's near the top for creating big chances. The only thing that maybe stopped him being top was those sort of late rotations uh, that restricted his game time. So, yes, we we know what we get with De Bruyne. Um, he's he's a brilliant player to watch, and he does get the assists in FPL. I guess the only thing you could say is that the goals didn't really happen this season. He scored seven, which which is okay, but uh, compared to the other premium options, maybe maybe that's what held him back a little bit.
2: Yeah, and certainly he he is capable of having a double digit season for goals. When you look at um, last season, fifteen goals uh, for him. Uh, and then two seasons before that, you know, 13 goals in that one. So it wasn't quite an epic season for him. And the, and the pricing structure of other players really kind of made it. like I mean, just I said I'm not sure I owned him. Just going back, I don't think I owned him even once. Uh, but he gets, he still just, it's, sometimes you get these players, you, you go nowhere near for reasons that feel important at the time and in short term because, oh, I need to own this other player. But, you know, you could make a case for sticking him in uh, a team where you just leave him in the whole time. And he's going to get you, you know, close to two hundred points. Um, that these are the, usually the kind of conclusions that we tend to come to with, at the end of the season sometimes, and then we just forget them at the start of the next season. You know, we could could have just left this guy in, and he could have just ticked along nicely. But such is the nature of FPL; it's, it's very short term based at times, very sort of based around pressure of other decisions and other players in the game. Um, so he's probably not going to get. I, I don't think he's going to get that many votes in this. But we have. But he just still has to be on the short list, doesn't he? Because it's just. Forget his other seasons. He's he's not he's not really competing against that. You know he's in the top six highest scoring midfielders for the season. So here he is.
3: That's it. Yeah, he he, he has to be mentioned. Uh, but uh, I'd be surprised if he made the line-up. But. It's not our decision. No, so, exactly. Let's see what happens.
2: It will be the will of the people uh, that decide it. Um, well, let's go to the complete opposite end of the extreme in terms of price and uh, head back to your favourite part of the world, which is Newcastle, where we uh, have to talk about Miguel Almirón. Who uh, we've talked about, um, you know, a season of two halves. We've had, talked about some guys who had a you know an all right start, but then a much better finish. It was kind of the other way around for for Miggy, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, ah, Miggie. Great guy. Um, His first three and a half years at Newcastle were not great. It took him almost a year to score his first goal for the club. So what happened to him in in the autumn was very much a purple patch and pretty symbolic of of how things have been under Eddie Howe. Players like Almiron and Joel Linton and Longstaff have just improved incredibly. The Howins. he started off at 5 million between game weeks 9 and 17 he scored 8 goals in that time so he shot up in value but it, it has regressed a bit since as, as you would probably expect um, his final 17 games 2 goals, 2 assists and sort of looking forward we, we already saw signs towards the end that he was maybe slightly rotationable, if that's a word but certainly next season, um, the squad depth should be increased, and it probably ends him as a valuable FPL asset. Asset, but owners, I'm sure, will not forget that beautiful <laughs> autumn spell. Yeah, we'll have to go.
2: The uh, the streets will never forget that is for sure, because it, as you said, it was so unlikely. I think that was. The, I remember first getting on 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 the bandwagon, and it's still feeling. I was very lucky I got on it um, quite early when it was still very much a bandwagon that you sort of turned your nose up at because, you know, you could just you could feasibly um, negate any reason for jumping on it by just going simply it's Almiron. And like that was enough. And but that was what was quite handy was that people were simultaneously saying, oh, it's Almiron whilst well, kind of overlooking some actually quite good numbers like his underlying stats were, were quite good for that patch um, and that's why I invested in on him because historically they hadn't been you know yeah. and so it feels quite nice uh, it's sort of a fitting a, a tribute, I suppose to the fact that he's probably as you say not going to be that much of an asset next season after being you know sort of this comical figure in the mind of many that he did get one proper go at being a fantasy asset um, before that time, and and here he is on the shortlist. I don't think he's. I think that second half of the season, as you've mentioned, there's probably going to hamper him in terms of getting some votes in the polls. But it feels nice just to have him here, just to sort of give him a nice little nod, be like, "Well done, my friend." Um, yeah, it's probably going to be
3: some some recency bias, but. Uh we'll not forget
2: <laughs> yeah well speaking of recency bias i do think that we might see that possibly with the brighton midfielders you have talked about rotation as well you know these guys in many ways were the second half of the season's answer to um to almiron uh, Solly march in particular as well someone who historically uh, had just sort of been a five million midfielder you kind of just ignore but he had his best season uh in, in a brighton shirt matoma sort of came out of nowhere and has looked very very exciting alexis McAllister as well sort of has been around for a little while and has always looked very exciting, but um, really had a proper bite at the cherry this year. Could be a bit like the Arsenal guys. We've got three guys all from the same club and they all kind of treaded it on each other's toes at various points. So it'd be interesting to see if any one of the three maybe just finishes above the other two. I don't know. But yeah, um, what do you think about these three guys? Um, they, they very much were the story of the second half of the season. You know, best Brighton midfielders, to win. I feel like that was probably inserted into the keywords on many many fantasy football scout articles since about january
3: yeah well first of all an apology to pascal gross who actually outscored all three of them all right in the end but um but it was never glamorous to go with him over these three because they all each of them offered something so so March similarly to almawan almawan had never really been a a thought until this season. He hadn't scored since November 2020, but then the comes in, he's a winger, six goals, 10 assists, and since since that break, since since we came back after the World Cup, he, he ranks fifth for big chances created and seventh for chances created. So, so yeah, he, he's had, a, I don't want to call it a purple patch or anything, but his second half of the season was, was very good. It came out of nowhere um, until injury sort of took him out at the worst time when, when those double game weeks were coming up. And then Matoma, again, he, he only burst onto the scene after the World Cup break, uh, sort of once Trossard was out of the picture. Um, whereas March is the best of the trio for creativity, Matoma's the best for in the penalty box. He has the most touches. In the box of the three, more shots as well. Um, but his points tally since game week 17 is seventh best of all midfielders. So, uh, But the only thing I would say about Matoma is we, we all kind of, he was firmly in the template and that was kind of non-negotiable purely because of the double game weeks. But he actually, he only once exceeded seven points after game week 22. And he hadn't scored since Game Week 29, so he really did sort of drop off. um, Seven points in a match, sorry, because there were some double game weeks. So, in a way, Matoma was slightly disappointing for a lot of the time, but we sort of kept him anyway.
2: Yeah, he became a bit of a a second half of the season trippier, didn't he? In that people felt afraid to move him on because everyone else had him, and he always looked like he was this close to getting something. The one thing I noticed about him was that his his shots in the box and his big chances uh, stats largely stayed at um, what I would consider an investable level, but it was the shots on target that just completely dropped off a cliff, and the goal conversion rate as well uh, seemed to be what killed his season in the end. Um, I guess uh, my question in, in, in that regard then, do you feel that McAllister possibly was a bit of a best of both worlds. You know, March was the assister. Matoma, when he was on form, was the goal scorer, whereas McAllister was probably, of the three, the one that offered both of those things in slightly more of a balanced equal measure and, of course, penalties as well.
3: Yeah, he he came out on top for shots and expected goal involvement. Uh, influenced by the penalties, yeah, of course. But uh, his 52 shots outside the box were really high. So, even ahead of Ruben Neves, which, which is saying something. Oh, wow. Um, oh, there's a stat. So, so, yes, he did beat them both for shots, but a lot of them were quite speculative. But he ended on 10 goals, um, and he's had a good year with the World Cup winner's medal, and now he's about to possibly leave the club. So, be interesting to see how Brighton evolve next season.
1: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?
2: Mm, Absolutely. And uh, we've already touched upon it in our defenders video, but what happens to the price of some of these players is going to be very, very interesting. And, you know, I'd completely, I I must also apologize to Pascal Gross. I had not noticed that either. Um, He very much probably deserves a price rise as well and and actually has some pedigree compared to the others as well. Um, When you consider that there was a time when he was essential beforehand um back in the the real before times of brighton so you know he could be looking at 6 6.5 for the new season uh, as well so what happens with brighton you're absolutely right we're going to have a keen eye on that let's uh finish the the shortlist itself before we go into the honorable mentions with the cheapest member of the list probably not going to get too many votes uh, I would imagine because he probably was on the bench for a lot of his biggest hauls. But when a 4.5 million uh, midfielder uh, does as well as Andreas Pereira has, he absolutely deserves to be uh, on this list. And it's it's quite, it's quite nice to see this because I think that he was someone that we all had our eye on at the start of the season because we all kind of figured that he would probably play in a, a very um, advanced number 10 role in a team that was very attacking. Probably could have been more expensive, but wasn't. So it's nice to see a four point five um, do well, even if he perhaps was mildly frustrating at how often he was, you know, sub blocked by probably a Jack Grealish cameo or something like that.
3: Yeah, can't seem to recall. Was he priced as a Manchester United player? Perhaps. I
2: uh, yes, I believe he was. Um, I think that's perhaps what influenced the price actually. Um, and then, so, so then when he moved to Nuggets. Solomon.
3: It felt like a bit of a cheat code, basically, because he was priced as a Man United reserve, and then became a big Fulham sign. And, and we knew going into the season that he was going to be the four point five million of choice, really. And he did prove that uh, four goals and ten assists. Although, as you say, a lot of that would have been stuck in our benches. But what a great feeling when he came in as an auto sub with a goal.
2: Yeah.
3: Whenever that happened, he, I think he hauled both times against Leeds, for example. So he, he certainly had some great moments. It's just uh, we might not have experienced them too often.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, whenever a 4.5 million midfielder does, that tends to be their lot in life. But, and sadly, probably isn't going to be 4.5 million again next season because I think, yeah, you, I'd, I'd forgotten that actually. I think you could be right that um, in a Fulham team, if you know he's in the team, and then you're doing the prices, you're not going to make him 4.5. So he's probably going to be a 5.5 for next season. And and Fulham are probably another club that we're going to see some some price rises for because they did have a very good year, didn't they? Um, you know, they were priced like a newly promoted team uh, because, uh, but they didn't play like one. And so well done uh, to them because it was never really in the relegation fight at all really They sort of weren't weren't fussed by it so well done oh. to them probably going to have to find a new 4.5 for the new season let's finish with some um, some guys that were close had some good patches especially towards the end uh, but couldn't quite make the list uh, on the screen I've got Leandro Trossard who um, you know famously was a useful asset actually for two different teams in the same season um, so fair play to him there Bruno Fernandes uh, we got Rodrigo as well and also Ebere Eze who um, really really um, made everybody forget that Zaha was injured, to be honest. He very much filled that void at Palace, didn't he? So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what can you tell us about these guys? Perhaps maybe how they just missed out. It um, yeah. might have been a bit harsh
3: on on Fernandez, to be honest. Um, when you see where his overall points are compared to some of these other nominees, it, it might be deemed harsh. It just felt like even he, he did lead the way for chances created. And I read a stat earlier that No player had created a bigger XG tally than him. It's just his teammates often didn't score those chances. So, but it it was, it was, it was a since his 2020 arrival, he's had three full seasons. And this one sort of felt like it might have been possibly the weakest of the three. But yeah, you, you could argue that he may have deserved to have been in the vote, but at the same time, he might not have received many votes anyway, so... Yeah,
2: it's... um. Another player where it's a season of two halves in many ways because, yeah, just looking back at his first half of the season now, it didn't really justify that much investment. And I picked him up in January when it felt unfashionable at the time because I just had a bit of an inkling that it was about to go on a run. And and, and he did, and then people picked up on it. But um, in a season where Rashford was so much cheaper, and you know clearly much more of a goal threat and you've also got uh so many uh really affordable options at arsenal and brighton there was just never room for bruno uh really until right near the end when you felt forced into that because of the double game weeks they're uh, forced into it's probably the wrong word because you were right he, he was playing well um i think it was just a season that just conspired for him not being as central to the picture as before because yeah he still scored about 20 more points this season than he did last season um but it's just that the the changing landscape around him just made him hard to to fit in probably would would you say
3: yeah and he does two goals in his last two matches does sort of end the season not a high for him but just scrolling down now just scrolling down the matches then before those last two games he'd only scored once in a long long time so there was a lot of underachievement before the end and uh, yeah. He, He's a good player and he's, he's key to Manchester United, but perhaps we have to draw the line somewhere on this short list before it becomes a long list. And yeah, Fernandez is just on the other side of that for us.
2: Yeah, that's very true. And well, the only thing is, is next season we're going to be up to... The price he was that we would more expect of him because they finished well and are looking good could be back in a position where we've got some very tough uh, decisions uh, to make uh, for the new campaign. Before yeah. we finish, perhaps a slight word on on Eze um, because not necessarily to suggest that in any way he should be on that short list, but it, I do personally find it very impressive that I feel like he wasn't really in the conversation until about 10 weeks ago, whenever it was that uh, Hodgson came back. And yet, Eze has managed to finish in the top 10 amongst all midfielders uh, for points with uh, 159. Uh, it's more than Almiron, more than Trossard as well, more than Son, more than March. You know, so he, he did actually, what he achieved in, lot, in the end of the season, when added on what he'd done before, was was impressive for someone who very much felt like a differential when you look at way finished, maybe we should have been on him a little bit more.
3: Yeah, you got you got two 16-point holes after Hodgson arrived. He um, really sort of had a superb end to the season. And yeah, it's, it's sort of it's a hindsight thing, isn't it? Because you look at him and think, wow, it's a lot of points. He, he's, he's ranked really highly. Uh, well, why weren't we on him sooner? But his form coincided with Brighton having... Double game weeks every week. So there there was always sort of more bodies in the way. But (laughs) he definitely deserves a mention. Yeah. And also Rodrigo. Rodrigo's another one.
2: Yeah.
3: On there because he was, he had 35 points after game week three, an incredible start. He was the first midfielder to reach 10 goals, but then he got injured. But he still ends with the best minutes per goal rate of, of the regular midfield starters. So if it wasn't for the injury, he might have been on the list.
2: And Leeds might have stayed up. <laughs>
3: and Leeds might have stayed
2: up. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. I, when I saw Rodrigo on the list, my brain immediately went to the Man City midfielder because I, I just honestly completely forgotten about the Leeds one because it it feels like such a long time ago that he was an option it almost feels like last season well I mean technically it is now last season because the season has finished but you know um it's because his real purple patch really was in the first few weeks of the campaign which were a very long time ago now so um yeah shame shame for him really because he was an exciting player um to to own and yeah just just going back to Eze as well I think I I I was big on this guy I, I I lost count of the number of like articles videos whatever you call it that i he, i put in front and center like this guy's so good you have to get him and i just never got him myself and it, it was because of brighton you know they just had too much of an opportunity to um to invest in those double game weeks i just never found the room which is is a real shame so um yeah hopefully i get to own someone like an Eze next season uh if the double game weeks can just get out of the way because <laughs> it can be a bit of a chore sometimes can't they
3: yeah, a little bit. Well, hopefully, don't want to speak too soon, but next season might be a bit closer to normality, whatever that is. <laughs> um, yeah, for the first in terms of no World Cup breaks, no, no World Cup breaks. Hopefully, no pandemics. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we might actually have a, a smaller amount of double game weeks in theory, which might give guys like Eze a chance and allow Mitoma to be sold.
2: after all this time we can finally look elsewhere and just focus on the single game weeks we can yeah absolutely um, pray for that for certain Um, but yes as we've uh, talked about here all these players uh, with the exception of the last few we've talked about the ones that are in the shortlist you can vote for uh, on the polls on fantasyfootballscout.co.uk and so it all feeds into that team of the season so if you head to the website scroll down to the polls sidebar and you'll see the different positions cycle through over the next few days so you can uh, vote for those and then eventually a team will be assembled uh, by the writers who never stop working. As I said, Mark is uh, still trawling through all of the postseason copies, so make sure you keep an eye uh, on all that stuff. And uh, don't forget, by the way, before you finish to uh, like this video and hit subscribe uh, on the Fantasy Football Scout YouTube channel, and also hit the bell notification as well, because in the closed season, there is naturally going to be less football on, there's going to be significantly fewer deadlines as well, so uh, you're slightly, just statistically more likely to miss content if you don't have that bell notification turned on, it'll help you know when we've got something new out. Uh, we'll have a video on forwards as well. Uh, we've already discussed defenders and goalkeepers for the team of the season, so you can go back and watch or listen to those, depending on what platform you're accessing this on. And also, don't forget that what we have coming Coming up is Game Week 39 on Saturday, 3rd of June. Team North versus Team South. All of your favorite content creators in the fantasy football world, probably all of the ones you don't like as well. They're all there um, playing football against each other, uh, all in a fantastic uh, name, name of a fantastic cause uh, that is Street Child United, that do a fantastic job of looking after underprivileged uh, children uh, across uh, the world. So if you'd like to come to that, it's in Birmingham. You can go to the website Game Week 39 North versus South.co.uk and buy a ticket. All proceeds to that charity or if you can't make it but you'd like to make a donation you can do that too and you can follow uh, the game i think on twitter spaces where it will be kind of radio commentary and my understanding is that there will be uh, um, a um a televisation of the game on youtube as well so keep an eye out for that big big fantasy event and we'd love to have your support um for that i think that's everything i've got to mention that was quite a long list <laughs> thank you for joining me mark um you've uh, i think i think you've finished writing all of your team of the season articles now is that right
3: Yes, that's right. Yeah, the forwards has just been completed, so that will go on the site in the coming days. So yes, yeah,
2: be nice probably to uh, to have that season review uh, out of the way, and so you can enjoy the rest of your summer, I imagine.
3: <laughs> it would it, be nice. it's good to avoid burnout. I think in general, although there's a different type of burnout if you sort of go on holidays and stuff. So. <laughs>
2: That is very true. Well, as I said, thanks for, for coming on this video. And we've got one more with you to come later this week. So, um, yeah, everybody we'll see you then. Uh, but until then, it's a goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Cheers, all.